Hello everyone and welcome back to the Film Score Podcast. Today my guest is composer Andy Fosbury. Andy's done a ton of independent films, features and shorts, and you actually might know him from mastering the rediscovered synth electronic albums from Turquoise Moon. And one of the wild things about Andy's music is just how prolific he is and how quickly he manages to write and record his scores. We touch on it actually quite a bit early on, and it's something that, honestly, I find so fixating. But some of those he gets and turns around in two weeks, which is just unreal. Now, actually, you can obviously listen to pretty much all of Andy's music on Spotify or preferably on his band camp, but you can also find a lot of the films that he scored on YouTube as well. So definitely check a few of those out. And if you want to find more out about Andy, of course you can check his website or check him out on social media as well. And as always, you do the same for me, especially if you want to hear more interviews or read more film music reviews. Now coming up, I'm actually going to be breaking with my normal release schedule and having a few interviews releasing in consecutive weeks. And then after that, I think I might take a breather for a minute. But until then, sit back and I hope you enjoy. Andy, I'm I'm so glad you could join me, especially with, as I know, how you seem to be constantly busy with new scores. Oh, it's a pleasure, man. I'm I'm really glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. But yeah, I mean, like like I said, you had messaged me, sent me some emails about some of the scores that you're working on and the turnaround times you've had where some you've had them written, recorded, delivered in two weeks is absolutely unreal. Well, it's not some, it's actually, it's been all of them. All of them have been in, in, that, in that period of time. This is, in one sense, an overly broad question, but how do you do that much music, 30, 40 minutes of music, in that short of period? Okay, that's a good question, and it is quite a broad question. The way I see it, I kind of, I have to do... The same job that any composer has to do, I just have to do it in a particularly condensed period of time. The way it would usually work is I'll receive the edit, like what will be called the lock, and I just have to kind of start, go. I just go at it. So the first thing I'll do is I'll watch the film. There may be some temp on there. And then what I tend to do is I'll watch the film and take notes. And, and, and basically, because this has all happened in the last 18 months, most of these films. So there's been no opportunity for spotting sessions or anything like that. So I would do that myself and spot the film, take a lot of notes, and then just kind of have to start work. So what I generally do is on day one, I'll create a, a sound palette. And whilst I'm taking notes and spotting the film, I will identify some sounds or some particular emotions or some character beats that I know I want to hit when I get to that point of the film. And that will start to give me some sonic ideas, that kind of thing. But usually, I mean, on a, on a bigger movie, I mean, two weeks would probably be the amount of time you would spend creating samples and getting your sounds organized and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I have to do that pretty much in a, in a day. On the first film I did, a, a film called Hatched, I spent a day putting some sounds together and creating some sounds for for people who don't know, there are dinosaurs in that film. So I was creating sounds that would work with the dinosaurs, but there was very much a human story as well. So it was quite a broad palette I had to create in a, in a short period of time. And then I could start putting that to picture. What I have learned 
through the process is that sometimes the, when you're pushed for time, the best thing to do is actually to start work. I've done the research, I've, I've watched the film, I've taken my notes and then just work with a scene and start to like paint pictures, my own sonic pictures that work with the dynamic of the film. Now, the reason that can be sort of difficult in terms of creating a palette is like all these films seem to have a cold opening. So there's no title sequence because with a title sequence, you can kind of set out your stool. Here's a, maybe a motif, here's a theme, that kind of thing. I don't have that opportunity with a cold opening. It's, we're straight into some kind of action that may or may not be related to how the narrative of the film plays out. So the best thing you can do is, is start to work with that initial scene and create a score which is dynamic and is malleable as well because you know film has lots of peaks and troughs and it has to be dynamic and you need to have some tools at your disposal where you can apply them to scenes where it's underscore or there's a lot of action and these the films that I've worked on which have been mostly in horror have a lot of both of those extremes so it's being as versatile as possible in as short a time as possible. The way I tend to go at these is, is to work chronologically, because if you've spotted a film with directors and producers and editors, that kind of thing, there might be a few key scenes where a lot of themes will kind of hinge on that hub and you work from there and you can work backwards and find all your other kind of emotional beats from there. But because of the time crush, I will score the film chronologically. It has its good points and it has its bad points. Sometimes the bad points I have found that I've got to a point where I've needed to go back because the sound has, has evolved and has grown that where I was at the start of the film might not be fleshed out enough. So again, within that very short period of time, I've looked at some of the work, the work had a bit of a critique and thought, okay, well, just sonically from a mixed point of view, some of those early scenes just need to be brought up to the level where we are now. But um, also, if you're working chronologically, that can be that can be really cool as you're kind of discovering because you're writing in not in real time, but you're as the the story unfolds, the music is discovering the characters as they're going through their journeys as well, rather than I have this piece of music which describes where this character is going to be and I need to put that jigsaw puzzle together by the time we get there. I'm kind of building the jigsaw without knowing what the picture will be at the end, if you know what I mean. And that's really exciting as a composer to, to kind of work through that process and it can be really satisfying as well. That's kind of like how writing a script is as well. You'll have some broader ideas and maybe a treatment or an outline and then as you write, or it's, it's the same writing a short story or a novel, etc. Where you start writing and then maybe for, for a script, when you get 60, 80 pages in, you realize the, the characters have evolved or the plot has evolved or it's going to a place that you didn't expect and then you have to go back to the beginning and start working those in. It makes sense. It's, it's interesting. And I imagine that similar things happen if instead you, you start on those particular scenes, like you mentioned, where a lot of things hinge on. But when you first worked on Hatch, I think you, you may have done, I don't know, one or two shorts beforehand. So, I mean, and obviously you'd done years of making music prior, but obviously that's kind of a different beast when you're doing it for yourself. So when you got to Hatched and realized you had two weeks, was it a, a daunting feeling where you sat there and said, oh shit, how am I going to do this? Or did you go, I've, I've just got to get cracking and went nose down and dove right into it? As a bit of background, I had, you're right, I had done some shorts and I think other composers will have similar experiences where you do a lot of shorts and some of them are never finished. Mm. 
but you still have the experience of, of composing on those projects. I was lucky to work on a really good short with a director that went and did straight after that uh, TV special for Network here in the UK uh, with a really big production company as well. So I was taken on that part of the journey also. But I've been doing a lot of commercials and I've been doing a lot of production music. They're very different platforms, but they, they definitely give you a lot of tools for approaching narrative. But beyond that, Nick, I mean, I've just been a, a fan of film my whole life and I've been kind of reverse engineering scenes and, and, and movies and, and picking things apart critically or internally for such a long time. But when I got the call about Hatched, I was actually offered a different film by the same company that they had two ready to go. They kind of laid it out in the email how long it would be. And you've got two weeks, it's this amount of money to do this film. And I, I did think exactly what you thought I th would think. But what I did, I did what I always do when I need to process something. And I just like, I'm just going to go for a walk. And I was literally out for 45 minutes, just like, this is going to be a huge mountain to climb in a short period of time. Came back, replied to the email and said, I'll do it. And they wrote back and they were like, well, that film's actually gone. But we have this other film, this dinosaur movie. Do you want to do it? And I was like, yeah, sure, let's go. And so I got the film the next day and we were kind of off to, off to the races at that point. That's great. I don't know if everyone would would do that. I mean, that's like you said, that's that's a tough mountain to climb. You look at that and go, wow, that's tough. I guess with working on production music, because the first production music album I had done had been with Sony. So it was kind of, you know, Premier League stuff straight away. And you have to write a huge amount of music, usually on a brief in a short period of time. And then with shorts, it's, it's you know, you're working on, on a smaller amount of visual information, but you do have to throw a lot of music at it. So if you couple that with just being such a fan of, of films and score and that kind of thing, it was, I found myself acclimating to that climate really easily, the same way I had done with commercials. So when you're asked to do something and you're given certain parameters to do it, I, my first thought was, how can I do this? Like, rather than I don't want to do this or I don't think this is possible, it was more like, how can I do this and how can I do this really well? So after I'd done the cold opening and we were in a good space with how it was sounding and how, the, how that had evolved, I sort of mapped it out and, and thought, well, okay, I've got to do about seven and a half minutes, eight minutes per day. And then that was my working target. So it's just about putting in the hours and really kind of trying to achieve those benchmarks as you go through the process. And I don't know, you, you also, you kind of, you build up a momentum as well. You build up quite a head of steam because it has to be done and people are relying on you. And, and at the end of the day, I mean, I really enjoy the work. So I guess sometimes it would be great to kind of sit and process and, and unpack and like a single queue for three weeks. And those situations do happen. And I'm sure they're going to happen to me at some point. But it's a different thought process, but it's, it's equally satisfying just to kind of plow into something and, and link all those pieces together in, in a really condensed time frame. I mean, I guess it's like working on TV as well, because you have the development phase and then you're kind of getting an episode a week. I didn't have any of the development phase. It was just, okay, like we're doing a film and it starts tomorrow, let's go. And it, I mean, for Hatched, I wrote about 80 minutes of music. They like them to be not wall to wall, but I kind of argue sometimes there has to be breathing room. We have to let the actors do some of the work because if the score's never ending, the score doesn't do anything. Apart from perhaps Star Wars, if the score starts at beat zero and finishes at the end of the credits, 
I think it gets pushed so far to the back of your subconscious when you're watching the film that I think you need beats, you need breaks, you need dynamics, you need you need those places where it's dialogue that's doing the work. I mean, dialogue's always king anyway, or queen, but you have to have those moments where the music pauses because then when it comes back, it's doing something new. It's, it's elevating the next, hopefully elevating the next part of the film. Well, and like you said, if it's always there, it's as if it's not there at all. It fades into the background. I was actually, I was thinking that I was watching Dune last night, but I thought that at first too, where I was like, wow, this is just wall-to-wall pounding music. And then 25, 30 minutes in, you get a scene where it just goes away. And then suddenly the film becomes really, really intimate. And then you zoom back out, the score picks up again. And yeah, having having that changing dynamic nature makes everything much more impactful. But as you're talking about the timing, I started thinking like, oh, you know what? I think Jerry Goldsmith did Chinatown in like 10 days. And that's right. Yeah. I think James Newton Howard, when he came in and did a, a cleanup job on King Kong after Howard Shore left, and I think that was like two or three weeks, you know, started to think like, yeah, it's tight. But I think sometimes it makes it so you're not overthinking it. You're going for your your first impulse, and a lot of times that first impulse, that gut feeling is, I mean, maybe it's not perfect, but what is? It works, and when you don't have the opportunity to overthink it and tinker too much, sometimes that, that's, that's what you need. Yeah, I, I think there is an element of what could be described as overthinking. There's also, on films with bigger budgets, there's more departments that, will have a stake in the score. There'll be more people giving notes. There'll be just a a longer process of back and forth. These films that I've worked on have been, they've been independent films, so the crews are fairly small. And I generally will work with one or two producers and the director. And I will have my two weeks and then I have to deliver the score to whoever's going to be dubbing the film. And at the same time, there is grades going on. And then for a film like Hatched, which is quite VFX heavy, that whole process is sort of ticking over in some other part of the country as well. But the point is, I mean, you still have to write and mix and orchestrate. And Hatched was adventure horror, which is sort of a new genre to me because it, it has, you know, killings and that kind of stuff in like horrors do. But, you know, you talk about dinosaurs and this kind of stuff. So you have to kind of like, paint a picture which describes all these elements so there was a lot of drums there was a lot of strings but there was also this kind of sadness behind it it was motivated by grief so I had to kind of work I'm not kind of I had to absolutely work that into the score as well so that all has to be done and mixed and then exported and delivered and sent on to the next department and then my work there is done usually (laughs) So a lot of these, like you mentioned earlier, inhabit this horror space. But as any even casual fan of horror knows, like it is a broad genre. There are all sorts of subgenres and and little areas you can inhabit. And sometimes that goes into the music as well. One upcoming one you have is Easter Killing. That, as far as scores go, is or was your first opportunity to do basically wall to wall synth. Other ones like Jack and Jill was a little more folk horror-y. Spider in the Attic was bit more of a cosmic horror. So, I mean, have you have you enjoyed having the opportunity to jump around musical genres and these horror subgenres in, gosh, just in the last 18 months? Yeah, I, I love it, to be honest. These films have 
a lot of layers. I'm, I'm a huge horror fan and a huge fan of genre film in general. And as you say, like horror is such a broad church from the first film, which was adventure horror, then onto prototype, which even though it isn't out yet, was the, the film that followed on from that in terms of my work. That was science fiction, but it was it was pretty much a, a film about a dysfunctional family. Mm. So all these films have these very different heartbeats to what you might expect from a horror movie. So, I mean, you mentioned Jack and Jill, which is very much a folk horror because it's based on the nursery rhyme of, of Jack and Jill. And the main characters aren't even Jack and Jill, really. They're, they're, they're stalking, basically, and protecting their environment. But at the heart of that film is, is a film about loss. It's a film about grief. And it touches on some really delicate subjects. So as a composer, there's, there's, there's a lot to latch onto to find an emotional heart rather than just, you know, making people feel uneasy or scared or, you know, working up to the big boom. I never approach the film from like that point of view. I'm, I'm looking at the, the emotional beats of the characters because I've been lucky enough to work on films where, yes, they're small independent films, but it's not just about some kind of spectacle or some kind of, you know, kill count, that kind of thing. It's the, the foundations on which these films are built are usually emotional and there's some kind of emotional damage in there, which from a writing point of view, there's, there's always something there to work with. You can latch onto a, a character idea and build a motif. And from a motif, you can then build that into cues and you can distort that when times are tough and you can, you know, depending on what the, the scene calls for. But as you also said, I mean, there are so many different branches to the horror tree. So we have like folk horror and cosmic horror and Easter Killing is more of a whodunit kind of slasher film. But I had a long conversation with the director at the start of that where we were able to discuss supernatural horror that we really like films like it follows and sinister and i bought in um as a reference sensor which is a film that just came out this year which has got an incredible score and just using all these other touchstones of what are called synth scores but basically making scores which don't use band and don't use orchestra just using electronic instruments and it's really amazing to be able to you know within the, the broad church of horror to be able to walk down you know, quite a long way down these separate avenues and create, I think, over, you know, the course of eight films, like really eclectic scores for films which are broadly speaking horror. But when you dig into them, there's there's a lot of difference between each and every film. It's not just about kills and stabbing and blood and gore and jump scares. It's, it's, they're not that kind of party. There's something else going on, which is great from my point of view. Even horror films that seem really straightforward, just pure blood and gut slashers you take and i'm not a big fan of the friday the 13th movies but even the f okay. the first one which was like thrown together really quick to follow the trend of these slashers like even that still has an emotional core of this boy's neglected and he dies and then the vengeance that's being wrought from it like yeah it's still it's not like super subtle it's not really deep but you know, I think almost every every horror film has that, or at least needs that. And that's something that I think when a lot of people look down on horror, they're neglecting that aspect of it, that these films all have something more going on. I think it's their loss as well, because I think horror at the moment is in such rude health. There are so many great films around right now and in the past few years that could be, again, using the word broad, but broadly called horror films. But... I think 
the horror community and, and people who are fans of horror movies, they're very open to not just being presented with experimental visuals, either overtly or subvertly, but the score as well, I think, is, is doesn't have to be just, you know, psycho strings or that kind of thing. I, I think the films allow composers to experiment and take huge leaps of faith and just dig a little deeper into atmosphere and, and emotion rather than just like this is a straight and and this is not to denigrate any other kind of genre of film because everything needs something to help paint the picture but you're not doing straight drama or you do you're not doing straight superhero action kind of thing there's always you can dig a little deeper and and, and you can add layers and i believe that the audience is receptive to what might be perceived as a slightly left of center or left field score and I, I actually think that horror is kind of leading the way and bleeding out into other genres and uh, more mainstream genres where composers are now feeling empowered to i guess like samples they would create themselves or layer up ideas that are slightly out of left field that would take them away from just like okay so i've got my template what are the uh woodwinds going to be doing in this part of the film they're moving away from that and, and hopefully it's to the, the larger benefit of, of film soundtracks and, and to scoring in general that there's a bigger playing field and there's more people on the field doing interesting things than I think it's only to the benefit of the art form at the end of the day. To take a step back, I realize I shouldn't have said anything about Friday the 13th. I forgot you have the hockey mask right behind you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jason Cooper Company. But no, I, I totally agree. And I think to, I mean, horror broadly tends to be a, a lower budget type of film even your your mainstream horror films that are going to be releasing in 4000 theaters in the US still might have a budget of 10 million dollars or something like that which in the grand scheme of film isn't a lot but it, you can still do a lot with that and i think as part of that it doesn't have that studio rigidity that other films get so i think that that gives composers a lot more flexibility and i think as film scores become more popular and one more way to differentiate your film, that then kind of feeds into it where people working on the film realize, oh, if we if we have something that, a score that's very striking, that's going to bring even more attention to it. I mean, and you, you'd mentioned Censor earlier. It's a great score. I've listened to it a few times. And that was one of the things that people talked about a lot was not only is it a good horror film, but it has a really interesting score. So I think it's something that horror is very much ahead on and that I hope, like you mentioned, is starting to bleed out into these other genres, that there's way more experimentation that you can do. That film scoring isn't one style anymore. Exactly. I mean, I agree. And I think there's, there's so much content being created for so many platforms right now. The people who run these platforms are very hungry for content. So there's kind of a crush on getting this content made, but also with so much content being made, I think it's allowing filmmakers to be a little bit braver as well. And because pretty much all bases are being covered and money just being poured into these, but they can be really brave and interesting about how the score is approached for those projects because everyone to some degree wants to kind of raise their head above the crowd and, and just be seen or heard in a slightly different light to everyone else. I think it's great. I mean, 
there's been times where scores have been like it's got to be orchestral it's got to be a certain thing and you can use that palette to explore wherever you want to explore but i really believe i know it's it's from a consumer point of view it's, it can be slightly overwhelming but from a creative point of view i think it's a really great space to have really interesting creative conversations about how you can potentially approach your score in a in an interesting way some scores need to be a certain way they need to be very emotive and certain instruments lend themselves to that but if you have the freedom to go for it a little bit then i strongly encourage you if you're a composer go for it and if you're a consumer then embrace it i think because obviously I'm, I'm the consumer side and so i'm a massive advocate of opening your mind listening to the all the like weird interesting cutting edge stuff because there's so much out there and i guess the consumer were really spoiled because there is so much out there and so much of it's so good and the more that you open your mind and are open to different things the more exciting the world is i think sometimes along the way there will be certain stepping stones that people need to kind of examine before they learn how to get past that stepping stone and I think to a certain degree, Michael Levy's done that twice with, first of all, Under the Skin came out and people were like, what, what, what's going on with this score? But then, I mean, I loved it as soon as I heard it. I love that film as well because it's just so kind of other. But that score, whether people liked it or not, became a talking point. And then it happened again very recently with a score that um, Michael uh, wrote for, um, can you remind me of the name of that film? Was it Zola? Exactly. It's a bizarre listening experience, but it's, again, I do believe when something is that overtly different, it's a good thing because it creates debate and it creates conversation and people, whether subconsciously or consciously, will start to pull on little threads of things like that score, which is just so alien. And then that's going to be brought into whatever they're working on next or they're developing next. And again the the scores as they evolve and move forward get to change and and hopefully are approached from new and always interesting angles and there's there's nothing wrong with classic film scoring and that will always be there but if there's boundaries to push and there's doors to kind of lean on then push and lean as much as you dare and see what happens there's only so much pushing and leaning that I can do in two weeks on a film, but where I can, I have been allowed to do that, which has been great. I love the phrasing of that, that scores like Zola, for instance, almost force a re-examination of film music and what film music can do and what it can sound like, because you play that alongside a Star Wars score, and they sit on effectively the opposite ends of a musical spectrum, and so that the fact that now we can be in a place where both of those can work as a film score, depending on the film, of course. Yeah. Isn't that amazing, though? To, to me, that's just incredible because you can sit down with a collaborator, a director or a producer, and you could point at one end of the spectrum, as you say, like there's Zola, and at the other end is the, the three different scores for June that have just come out over the past few months. And that whole field of vision between those two we can pick a point or many points in that spectrum and go down those avenues and have something really, really interesting. You could be either end or either extreme and do something very interesting, but never forget that there's a huge amount of colour between those two very, very disparate places. And it's all valid. It's all valid. So just 
dive in and, and see what happens. And I think it's David Bowie said, like, when you get into the, the, the deep water where your feet just can't touch the bottom and you're slightly out of your depth, that's where interesting things really start to happen. You know, there's certain little quotes like that that um, pop up in the back of my mind when I'm starting a new project. And whether the people I've collaborated with have been open to that is a, you know, that's another thing, but it's a really powerful tool because it's important to me as, as a composer and as a musician, as, as an artist to, to push myself as well. Like I know that on every single project, I learn as much about the process as I do about myself through the process. So I'm learning and I'm evolving and I'm growing and just remembering things like that and various other things that I beat myself up over when I'm working on scores or, or starting on scores. I always hope to finish a score a better composer than when I began the score. And that can be just like tiny little increments, but all those increments, they all come together and, and they just make you better at what you do. I love that. I mean, that's, in my opinion, what everyone should be striving to do. You know, every every composer doesn't have to be experimenting and pushing the boundaries of music, but to be pushing themselves or whether you're a composer or writer in your day job, whatever, but consistently pushing to get better and to see what more you can do. I love that. It's, it's, it's such a good mindset. Yeah. And I think if you're open to that, you're always going to be open to evolving. Like, I can't understand why you would possibly sort of think, well, you know, I kind of know everything I need to know to do this job when it's a job that's so open-ended. And I'm not suggesting there's lots of people who have that kind of frame of mind. I mean, I just, I just know that I don't. And whether it's at the start of a project, maybe being asked to watch a film I've never watched before as a reference, just to kind of fuel the tank a little bit and kind of nudge me in a certain direction, or the way I've managed my time or the way I've evolved. I don't work with templates, but I, you know, I, I set up a new project because I want the film to tell me how it's going to sound rather than like I have my huge, amazing template set up and I'm going to kind of like apply all my parts of the orchestra to no, it doesn't work like that. Like, I, I want the film to express to me when I watch it what kind of sonic road, based on the film and my conversations with the people who made it, what kind of sonic road we're going to go down. So whatever it may be, I just want there to be something new or something fresh that I've taken away from the process that I will then feed into the beginning of the next process and make that all the more worthwhile. And, and well, it's all worthwhile, but all the more fluid and... Um, I don't know how to finish off that thought. I just like, I'm just always like, I, I love turning up. I love turning up and doing the work. And I always just, I want to make sure that when I get to the next job, I'm doing the best job I can that day, the day after, the day after. And I can take that into the next project and present myself as an even better composer that I was on the film where they heard me and they wanted me to work on their film. I just got to keep on driving down that road, man. On that same point, then, we've talked about some of the musical genres that you've been working in so far. Are there genres going forward or, or styles that you hope that you have a chance to tackle? Or that if they come up, you maybe have a, not necessarily a reservation, but a question as to how you're going to hit it? Yeah, no, there's. I've, I've obviously thought about this a lot. And, I mean, I, I quite happily work in horror forever because it's huge and, and enormous and I can as an artist and as a composer express myself in endless ways but I'm about to begin work on a new short which is 
super emotional, super intimate, and I've already done some preliminary work on that. Um, so it's, it's like felt piano and barely there, violins and strings, that kind of thing. And I love that kind of, like, I, I listen to a lot of that kind of music, like labels, like arrays, tapes, stuff like that. So that's all kind of in my wheelhouse as well. And I'm a huge science fiction fan. So any way I can stir all those horror and science fiction and drama and, I mean, I just did, <laughs> I just did an action horror, which was kind of a creature feature, but it was, um, I don't think I'm, I'm I, I can do spoilers. This is about a crocodile. <laughs> and I watched the film and I thought, I'm going to be really clever and like come at this from like a predator kind of very highbrow, just minimal drums and then like big action stabs and like I did that for the opening and, and they were like it's great but there has to be more like just drums <laughs> so I just basically created a story the score of just layers and layers and layers and layers of drums which is amazing because I'm a drummer anyway so just you know through the lens of horror I was just doing I found myself doing an, an action film um which was new and interesting because I, I find action like when I'm watching an action film those cues tend to kind of bleed into one with me so it was I find a lot of the variation in score is usually expressed through other things other than like high action so it was it was I, I was trying to approach that from a slightly fresh point of view or as fresh as I could in, in, in a couple of weeks the shorts that I did and the tv special that I did prior to Hatched was that was comedy so I my initial kind of foray into working to picture was all comedy and fortunately it was comedy where the music was playing straight hmm. because i would never know how to score something with you know a budum tish at the end or a kind of a slide whistle kind of approach to, to film scoring so that's something I, i'm more than happy to do comedy um but i would never be able to come at it from a we're scoring almost like a, an old cartoon kind of mickey mouse scoring but yeah i mean i anything that's presented to me i'll, I'll talk about and be happy to dive in i mean i i really i would love to do something that's based in the in the desert just because it's super evocative to me and i i want to do a score that i'm basically off the grid of my computer and everything's everything would be recorded in the room acoustically and then perhaps processed later in the studio but initially all the the germs of the ideas come from an acoustic space because I, I love cinematography and i love responding to landscape and space and, and atmosphere and emotion and having a bit of time to kind of explore those tones and timbres in a physical space before kind of getting onto the grid and, and matching it to picture but yeah I mean I've even in in the work I've done like being super precise with a pure synth score as well and then something a bit less precise with Spider from the Attic which was the cosmic horror I feel quite fortunate to be to have been kind of all over the map but I, I, I'm terrified of animation. <laughs> if you're looking for something that I, I don't want to do, I'm like the, that kind of wall to wall. I, I don't watch a lot of animation, and um, that to me is a terrifying concept. So if there's if, if there's someone who is about to write me an email who's doing an amazing high budget animation film, please still write to me. But yeah, I don't know. It's um, it's it, there seems to be a whole other kind of philosophy of composition behind that sort of work which um i don't know it'd be amazing to dive into that i think but yeah there's there's some other things i would like to explore along the way for sure but i think even that is selling animation short you know it's not all like looney tunes kid stuff like you take uh, cowboy bebop the anime series like that has this just really cool stylish jazz score right 
you know, even a recent one was, um, you know, Netflix released a Witcher animated film, which just has a more epic medieval fantasy sound to it. So even those, you know, their animation, I think, is growing more and more. And and maybe it's always been like that. I don't know. I've, I haven't been a big animation or anime guy either, but like, it's a it's a massive world, too. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I mean, when someone says animation to me, like my brain instantly sort of goes to Pixar. Yeah. But you're right. I mean, I I watched a series on Netflix called Love, Death and Robots, which is a, a series of shorts. I think Tom Holkenberg did one of those. And those are great. I mean, and it's like opening the toolbox and in a very short period of time and, and, and throwing a bunch of ideas at the screen. And they're generally sort of high concept and just super awesome. And then I I did actually watch there was a Transformers anime on there which I watched the whole series of and um it's like it's it's hugely divorced from the kind of the Michael Bay end of the Transformers spectrum but it was reminding me a lot of uh, video games and that kind of scoring and those kinds of soundtracks so I think you're right I think there's a lot of common ground between very sort of happening animation and where video games are going is these like open world never-ending looped music that gets used on um, these open world games is again that's something that's a whole other kind of conversation but I think there's a lot of overlap between those two worlds which would be a, an amazing pool to to dive into. To see that now you're now, now, you're now I'm an animation composer. <laughs> There was there was something that you mentioned a few minutes ago in talking about particularly wanting to score something that's set in the desert and saying that landscapes uh, are evocative. And I do wonder, I mean, what is it about the desert as opposed to any other broader landscape? And, and in one sense, I, I agree that it has a, I don't know, it, it has a type of invocation that's different from a, a mountain range or forests or anything else like that. Yeah, it's. I mean, I've 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 been fortunate enough to have spent quite a bit of time out in the American Southwest, and it kind of it stuck with me. And those images have penetrated and evoked themselves in the music that I've written as an artist in the past. I think it's just cinematography of vast spaces, which is usually depicted by a desert. To me, there's always music to be found there, and. I've read literature that's kind of, or is entirely set in those places. And um, I actually wrote an album about No Country for Old Men. It wasn't supposed to be a dig on, because the film is kind of famously got no music in it. It's got like three tones that happen through the whole film. But I, I'm a huge fan of Cormac McCarthy as well, the author of, of the book. And I wrote that movie, sorry, I didn't write that movie. I wrote that album last year, because I just wanted to, to find a musical expression of what we're talking about, of like how to, describe those landscapes in a way that was hopefully I don't know if you listen to music and get kind of pictures in your head I know that I do and I wanted to kind of describe those pictures in a musical way and then recently I read a book a book called The Thicket which is set in um, turn of the century or turn of the last century South Texas and again wrote some music because it's just kind of a source of inspiration where literature can describe a landscape in a way that will then spark off musical ideas in my head the same way you know looking at a film or images would and then I like to take the time to come to the studio and try and um, unpack that in, in a musical way but I mean the, the desert thing is is just something I've carried with me since I, I kind of I think it just cast a bit of a spell on me that's hmm. 
never kind of gone away. But the same is equal of science fiction and space. And I think it's just being in awe. The first time I went to the desert and, and could see so far and see like a thunderstorm on the distant horizon over there and, and kind of like a, a radio telescope over there and a mountain range over there. Growing up where I grew up, that was so alien to me that I think it was just, it happened to be the desert, but I think I was just in awe of that environment. And awe is a good place to begin from a creative standpoint, I think. I did actually want to talk about the No Country for Old Men album that you did. But okay. talking about Cormac McCarthy and his view of the desert in some ways, like one of my favorite novels is Blood Meridian. It's my favorite and, book. Yeah. And what I, one of the things that I love about that, too, is it introduces a sort of magic realism in the desert. Like it's already this almost alien, awing place. And he's just taken that up another notch of like strange, inexplicable things can happen here. And no one questions it because of where we are. So so you talk about that it reignites that feeling that I have as well, that I had almost uh, forgotten about, or at least had, had been dormant for a little while. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I read, I was just happened to be uh, reading, I think, Blood Meridian around the same time that I did my first trip out, out there. As you and I were talking sort of off air before, I spent a lot of time in Texas and would road trip out from there to New Mexico and Arizona and coming from England that is you know it's like being on Mars or something but there was life there and there was communities there and there was mysticism there and there was mystery and there's kind of a danger but just such such an inherent beauty to the place and I don't think anyone has described it as well as Cormac McCarthy has in Blood Meridian like he finds new ways to talk about this evolving landscape page after page after page certainly more eloquently than I'm I'm doing now <laughs> so all I could do was um try and write some music which processed my feelings about that environment so when you have these parallel careers let's say of media composition and then your own output your own experimentations your own thoughts and ideas being put out individually do you ever when you're writing one put too much or too little of yourself in there or want to save some of what you're creating for the other path no no not at all um they exist separately and i'm i've i've got really good at managing both things i think the the easiest way to describe it is all my focus is on composition for for picture i don't even like calling it my job but it is essentially my job all the other music that happens will be in breaks between and I just I have a compulsion to make music and that's it's been that way for about 20 years now I think and certainly in the last 15 where I really started to kind of get into the craft of, of recording and I got to a point where I can actually I, I've been able to I make music relatively quickly I suppose and if I have time off, I, I, I'm just really crap at doing nothing. I'm terrible. <laughs> at, and it's been a long road to get to this point of where I'm a, a media composer and I'm a film composer. And it's amazing because I finally am doing the thing which I feel that I was put here to do. And it's taken a long time and to get to this point. And I learned a lot of things along the way. And I, I walked down the artist path as well and I did a lot of touring and because it was underground I was holding down a day job at the same time and the management of time of, of like dual paths has been something I've been on for a while yeah. but 
composition to picture is absolutely my priority, but I have this compulsion that if I have time off, I mean, like last Christmas, like most people, like everywhere shuts down over Christmas and everyone sort of takes a few days off. So I, I was like, yeah, I'm gonna just chill. And I, d- I made a record in that time. And <laughs> and also like my, my artist work is kind of it, in itself is split into two kind of different wings. So I have like my artistic expression, um, which is kind of me working my stuff out and writing music. And then running concurrently with that is the stuff which is informed by what we're talking about, like film and my love of film and my love of genre. So, I mean, I made an album based on the mythology of Blair Witch. Mm. I made an album based on an expanded universe album based on the Event Horizon. So that kind of came out of a weird situation where I heard they were making something new and there was a bit of a pitch that happened. And I just kind of ran with it and made, made a record. Then the No Country for All Men thing, that was uh, there was a Juneteenth thing happening last year on Bandcamp. And I really wanted to have something fresh to, to present and because they were putting a lot of earnings from that day to towards charity. So I thought, OK, now's the time I'm going to I'm going to make this this album about this this book that I love. So I made that in four days and just like got in here and just like I, could, I made a track a day, a track a day, mixed it. And then it, would, it was ready to go on, on the Friday. So there's always an idea to kind of chase up. And I like to stay. It's not like staying busy. It's just like going. It's like going to the gym. So I, you, know, you come to the studio and like you have to do exercises, I believe. And I believe that, but I also enjoy the process of like of working through the concept of, of making music. And then it, it gives me, you know, I'm mixing things all the time. So my mixing gets better. I'm composing all the time. So my arranging gets better. My playing gets better. And then the next film project starts and all those fresh tools are in the kit, along with what I learned from the film I did just before I made that record as well and that all gets pushed forward on down the road into the next thing and I get excited by that process I don't feel burnt out by it I feel I get a lot of energy from that a lot of good energy from that because the thing is because I love what I do and like I said I was this is kind of what I feel like I was supposed to do I've got to the point where I I manage my time that I I keep all my (laughs) touchstones with reality on a daily basis so I do work quite a long day. I usually work from about 8 or 8.30 in the morning to about 10 o'clock at night. But within that time, you know, around about midday, I'll take two hours and I'll, I'll hike, I'll have lunch and then come back to another session and then break for two hours, exercise, cook dinner and then do another session and then just stop and then maybe go and watch a movie or something. But like, those walks that I take and that time spent outside are absolutely essential for maintaining my mental health and keeping me in touch with reality. And because you can, you know, you can get lost in the process, you can get lost in thought, you can trip over yourself, you can hit cul-de-sacs that you can't get out of. And I found a long time ago that walking is the medicine that cures every problem. If it's a mix issue, a compositional issue, Sometimes just the act of standing up and putting on my boots to go, like I've already solved the problem, but I still go and do it because being outside and interacting with the environment and seeing some sky and some trees. And I'm fortunate enough that I live just outside of the city. So I'm surrounded by countryside and I love being able to interact with that and see some animals and some sky and some sunshine and then come back and just be fresh to, to go. And 
I can still hit all my deliverables and still hit whatever, like if I'm saying to myself, I've got a target of seven, eight minutes to hit today, I can still do that and manage my own sanity in the process because there's a lot of pressure on us as composers to deliver and deliver and deliver and that's cool and I'm cool with that, but I'm not going to break myself in the process. I can do both. I can have a long enough day where I can deliver the work and take care of myself as well because in any area of work people can quite easily fall into the trap of pursuing certain goals and neglecting themselves along the way and and we shouldn't do that we should always make room for our own little headspace i would 100 percent agree and i think that that's i'm sure we could be talking for a while at this point but i think that's a great place to end on and a message to everybody not just composers and myself included take care of yourselves. It's so easy to get wrapped up and get lost and neglect the thing that is most important. Absolutely. Could not agree more, Nick. Andy, once again, I'm, I'm so glad you could join me. Had a great time chatting and I, I know that we'll be we'll be talking afterwards and I, I can't wait to hear all the other things that you come out with. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for the time. Yeah, of course. Take care, everyone. Cheers.